The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. All right, so Jared Willis, you've uh, you've covered baseball for several publications, including the Sporting News, Chicago Magazine, NBC Chicago, Forbes. I've seen you on the Athletic. Uh, you're a member of the Baseball Writers Association. Very impressive resume, to say the least. Uh, I saw that you're also in the uh, Cubs yearbook now. So uh, definitely, definitely awesome. Uh, I'm kind of curious before we get into Cubs and White Sox. How did you kind of get started in in basically journalism, writing, uh, covering all, all these awesome publications. Well, yeah, I, I think like, like a lot of people these days, um, I kind of came into it from a different angle. You know, I didn't take the traditional approach of like going through journalism school or anything like that. I started college as a media communications major, but then changed it, um, at the end of my freshman year. And so, you know, I came to it a lot later in life, you know, while I had a day job and something else um, and just started blogging and um, got my start at View from the Bleachers, um, which is a Cubs blog that I think some listeners might be familiar with and kind of hopped from there to Cubs Den and from there to Baseball Prospectus and kind of worked my way up uh, to the point where I was then able to, um, with Sporting News, when they put out a call a few years ago for writers, you know, I, I kind of threw my my name in the in the, the ring, so to speak. And then, um, was lucky enough to get, um, they took me on. And so that really, that really kind of took me then to, to that next level, um, where I was covering games with the media credential, doing interviews in the locker room, um, got to cover the postseason that year, um, things like that. And so then from there, it just, you just kind of, you know, as I'd meet people and I'd, I'd, I'd kind of learn who was in charge at different places and I'd learn who I could pitch to, um, you know, I, I feel sometimes like that resume is more just a product of me kind of taking the like scattershot approach and just um, and trying my best to, to land pieces wherever I can. So, so yeah, that's the super short version. It's basically just started writing as a hobby and then, and then just kind of let it took it as as far as I could. That's very cool and very inspirational because that's kind of like me. I mean, I was never any formal journalist or anything like that. I just randomly kind of got into it on my own and started, you know, with a few websites a few years ago and uh, kind of randomly got into podcasting. But I was also a communications major too. So it's kind of cool to hear how you got started because, you know, I, I don't have any formal training whatsoever. So, but again, it started as a hobby too. So that's pretty cool to hear. And I know you also started the dugout, which is kind of like a weekly email blast that I've, I've been getting for the past year. So how do you uh, decide to start that? Yeah, that, that was something that just kind of came out of, you know, I always felt like I had certain kinds of things that I wanted to write that just didn't really have, you know, there wasn't like a natural home for it um, anywhere else. And so I just, you know, I, you know, I, I just kept thinking like, I don't really have a place I could pitch this sort of thing to. And because I have quite a few newsletters that I subscribe to, I get, you know, a handful of different email newsletters throughout the week that at some point last summer, I was just like, you know what, I should just do, do my own email newsletter and just thought that way I could take some of these baseball slash general life sorts of thoughts and, and kind of put it all together. Um, and when I started it, I thought like, 
I mean, if I can get 15 people who will actually read this, I'll be, I'll be happy. And um, it's, I've been really, really surprised. It's turned out to be quite a bit more than, than that. So that's been a fun thing to do and gives me an outlet for some of these other types of writing that, again, I wouldn't really have a home for anywhere else. Yeah, I love that because uh, I feel the same as far as, you know, I'm doing my own stuff and it's like, you know, I, I like getting the idea or I, I like getting uh, kind of a look into what other people are kind of doing, similar things, similar, you know, outlets and expressing their kind of creativity. So it's really cool to see that you've been able to do that and have success with that as well. You mentioned that you teach high school also. And yeah. has that, <laughs> is that something that you've always done or is that oh, kind yeah. of... Okay, cool. I had no idea. So that's really interesting to hear too, just yeah. because I knew you from being kind of like, you know, a media member and whatnot, but right. very cool that you've, uh, you know, also are obviously staying busy with that, which I'm sure is huge this year, of course, with coronavirus and just the way 2020 has gone in general. And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely been a tough year in that way. It's just going through not only that stretch of time when I, you know, we weren't sure if the season was going to happen. But then even now that it is happening, there's a lot of the places that, you know, I would normally be writing stories for that are just kind of like, you know, we don't really have the budget for that right now. You know, a, a couple of different spots that in the past I probably would have been able to publish a certain type of story there and it just isn't isn't happening right now. So that's been kind of tough. And yeah, on top of, you know, the day job, which is, you know, I teach high school, so um, and I'm this, I think this is like my 17th year in the classroom that I'm starting. So this year, um, so balancing that with, with the baseball writing is, has, has been a tricky task over the last few years, but I'm fortunate because the, the teaching job means that during the summertime, um, even when I am doing school stuff, it still allows for a lot of time to be at the ballpark. Yeah, definitely. Now kind of getting to, the baseball side of things, uh, I guess kind of starting out, what are your kind of general thoughts for both the Cubs and White Sox so far to the start of the season? Obviously, both teams are playing tonight, and we kind of can get to that in a sec. But, yeah, what are kind of your, um, I guess, your general thoughts maybe going into the season and then kind of seeing how things have played out so far? Well, I've definitely, with both teams, I've been, I would say I've, I've been pleasantly surprised. The Cubs... I don't think I had, it was hard to know what kind of expectations to have for them just because there were a lot of variables, a lot of question marks. Um, but really there, so many things have clicked, so many things have gone well and it's the way they've, they've played. It's been, you know, they'll have a stretch where it's like the offense is really carrying them. And then as we've seen, they had that stretch where the starting pitching was just lights out for so many games in a row. Um, and uh, maybe with the exception of, you know, tonight's game as we're recording this, but like the bullpen is, has got, has, we've seen some improvements there too, even uh, just a few nights ago, earlier this week when Craig Kimbrell came out and threw a, you know, threw an inning with three strikeouts, no walks, no hits, you know, the kind of inning that you want to see from him and have wanted to see from him for a long time. So I think they're actually, the Cubs are actually in quite good shape because um, they, they're well balanced in that way. And so when at one aspect of the team maybe starts to, starts to lack a little bit, some, some other aspect of the team is, is picking them up. Um, the White Sox are intriguing too because their offense is obviously very potent. Uh, they're going to score a lot of runs. And they may be in a spot where they have 
not necessarily the greatest starting pitching staff, but one that is solid enough that that will though it'll keep them in in the playoff discussion over the next few weeks. I think they're a legitimate contender for that, um, and so they're I mean they're certainly a much much better team than they've been the last couple of years. It's like a lot of the the rebuild stuff that they've been doing is now we're seeing it. We're seeing it start to come together at the right time. I always had to hesitate to draw these kinds of comparisons, but because it's not exactly the same, but there are some similarities to say like 2015 Cubs kind of where they were at, at that point where they got really hot and, and kind of, I think surprised a lot of us in that season. Um, I, I would say, I think you could say the White Sox are in a somewhat similar place right now. Yeah, that's perfect that you said that because my one of my questions was going to be, did you kind of think of the 15 Cubs? And I even put the disclaimer, I was going to say, you know, not to always put that Cubs label right. or comparison to the Sox. But yeah, I thought going in, same thing. It's kind of had that 15 buzz. There's a lot of excitement, you know, in the offseason going into the season. And as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of pop so far. And, you know, I was wondering too, with the 60 game, like, I don't know how it would have played out over 162. I feel like with a 60 game season, I was kind of thinking maybe from the Cubs side of things, maybe that would benefit them because, you know, in the past few years, mm-hmm. We've seen the Cubs maybe have like a, you know, good stretches. Obviously they've been, they've been good even when they weren't playing as well last year. Uh, you know, they're still kind of in that conversation most of the year. So I thought, you know, if they play well enough, they probably could be a playoff team. And even with the Sox, you know, if they get off to a good start, which it looks like they are, you know, that could obviously benefit them too. So maybe having that shorter season kind of helps them in a sense. What the way the playoffs is this year, the top two uh, teams in their divisions will get into the playoffs. So it does sound like the, it does feel like the Sox and Cubs kind of both have a good shot there. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. I mean, the Cubs have they've done such a nice job of of giving themselves a really comfortable lead in the division. I don't think they're in any real danger of losing the NL Central unless they have you know just an atrocious losing streak. Because um, really, no other team in the division has shown me enough to make me feel like they're capable of, of pushing the Cubs all the way down into third place. Um, I just don't see that happening. So, you know, maybe the Cardinals play well enough to pass them for the division lead, but um, no, I I don't think they're going to get leapfrogged by two different teams. That's for sure. Do you think it's kind of, uh, I guess, puzzling to say the least, as far as certain players, stars, whether it's on the Cubs, like, you know, Bryant, Baez, uh, or even like, uh, I believe it's, uh, Cody Bellinger, is it Cody Bellinger out in LA? I think it was Bellinger who has been struggling so far. And I know, I mean, like, you know, typically in a 162 game season, you're going to see players struggle to start out. And I don't know if it's just typical struggles or if it's the fact that it's just a weird year. And then you had, you know, the typical spring training starting out, then the pause, and then kind of getting it started again. Uh, I would, I would, I would assume, you know, sooner than later, guys that you expect to play well would, you know, turn it on. But obviously, time's kind of ticking. Uh, have you been kind of puzzled by maybe some of the early slow starts, or kind of just it's just hard to say, it's just kind of random, and you know, everybody's human, so it's like you never know what might be affecting them off the field too. Yeah, I, I think that last part of it is probably the biggest thing to keep in mind is this has been such an unusual year for everybody. And for these guys, you know, you go from they're doing spring training in February and March. And, and when we have to remember when they shut down, they were what two weeks away from opening day. So they were pretty close to like 
I'm ready to go. Let's get this season started. And then everything shuts down. And not only shuts down, but it shut down without any sense of when they would start, when or if they would start again, uh, which is mentally, that's, that's a tough spot to be. Um, so then you, you do finally ramp up again in July and you get started. So I think there's a, lot, there's a mental factor for a lot of these guys. So we've seen some surprising slumps from a few players. I mean, like, you know, consider how cold Christian Yelich was when he started the season. And now it kind of looks like he's, he's getting it together. Um, but we're seeing in the Cubs, where I think Javi and Chris Bryant are the two biggest standouts in that way, especially Javi. I mean, he's, it's, it's not looking good. And in a normal season, right now we'd still we'd be what mid maybe maybe late april and you're just not really you don't even give it much thought um but there's just not the time for somebody to get it sorted out so it is a different sort of circumstance but if i'm david ross i'm I, other than the occasional day off i'm i'm keeping him out there because you know at some point he's going to get it once he gets going he, he's going to go on a tear I think for Chris Bryant, it might be like we've seen in seasons past. It's a matter of he's got to be fully healthy. Nothing, nothing that's bothering me, bothering him, anything like that. Um, And I think he'll get there, too. Yeah, that's one of the things I've been kind of wondering about with the Cubs is the injuries. And I don't know what you might think about this, but what I've been curious about, and I feel like going back to even like the Jim Hendry days, I feel like there's always been every season it almost feels like there's a guy that you know, it starts out as, you know, day to day, it's an ailment, no big deal, not going to put him on the disabled list, but, and then it kind of lingers. And we saw that with the Scouser last year. And mm-hmm. now it seems like with Bryant, do you sometimes think like, why not just put the guy on? I mean, obviously we may not know all the details, but it sometimes it feels like after a while, it's like, why didn't they just put Bryant on the, you know, the injured list, for instance, instead of letting right. him kind of linger and linger. And it just feels like it's been kind of that way with the Cubs for a while, and a lot of teams even, I think, but uh, I was kind of curious what your thoughts were maybe with that. Yeah, that's, I think what, kind of what we're seeing is, is reflective of what seems to be their, their approach to players when, when they are, do have those minor injuries. It seems as though they perhaps defer to the players too heavily because, you know, you know how it is. None, unless they are pretty badly hurt, most of these guys are going to say, Oh no, I'm good. I can I can keep going. I can play. I'm all right. Um, unless it again, unless it's bad. But um, you know, they're not going to say like most of the time. They're just going to say, "I'm I can do this. I'm good." And so I, perhaps they are guilty of allowing that too much and not being more willing to just say, "Okay, there's clearly something wrong. We're going to put you on the injured list," and and helping the player to accept that. I suspect that's that's a lot of what we're seeing, and it's it's clearly something that has been their practice for a while. Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the pleasant surprises, and I've been really impressed with Ian Happ. I don't know if he's going to be. I'm sure he's not going to be this guy. I mean, he's been so hot and so good lately. But at least for now, he's playing really well. He is even maybe helping solve the Cubs' leadoff woes. So, what have you kind of maybe noticed about Happ? Uh, I don't know if he's, you know, this guy, but I think he's definitely shown that he's kind of started to evolve and become maybe that player that they thought a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. Um, Cause we've seen in years past where Ian Happ can get, get hot and go on little stretches, but then it drops off. But this does, this year looks different. Um, 
he's looking like a much more mature hitter, which makes sense. I mean, he's been, I think he's, he's been in the league longer than people realize he has. Um, cause that long demotion to AAA last year perhaps kind of made people forget, but yeah, he's not necessarily this guy that we're seeing now cause he's bound to kind of level out a little bit, but based on what I've seen this season, he looks like a different kind of hitter. There's his approach is different. He looks like a more mature hitter and he's clearly adopted the team wide philosophy of, um, extending their at bats. So I think that's something we've seen across the lineup this year where they're taking a lot more pitches per at bat, a lot more high quality at bats. And he's reflective of that. And because he's doing that, I think that's a part of why we're seeing the, the, the hot hitting that he's shown so far. I was also curious too about, you know, with the trade deadline, uh, we saw a couple of trades actually today. Uh, I know the Phillies and Red Sox and Phillies and Yankees made some deals, but uh, did, I guess I, I, I don't really expect there to be any huge moves really this year, especially, you know, in a short season and kind of having to decide early whether or not teams are going to be, you know, sellers, buyers. But do you kind of expect any kind of real activity? Probably. I'm sure they'll do something, but I really don't think we're going to see some big, big trade. I, I really think the only way we would have seen that is if, maybe if their record was the reverse of what it is now, if they had just really stumbled out of the gate and they were struggling, then they might start looking into um, some of these guys that are, whose contracts are close to expiring. They've got this core that, that isn't going to be able to stay together much longer. Um, we may have seen them make some moves in that way, but now given how things are going, they're, they're obviously going to be a team that's their buyers because if they think they can make a serious postseason run this year, they're going to they're going to have to look at the pieces they can get um, to be able to do that. The problem they have is they're not in a position where they can take on a ton of salary, so that's why I don't think we're gonna we're not going to see some big big move. It's they're going to make some smaller trade pieces. Most likely, the obvious place is the bullpen. How can you make that bullpen stronger? How can you make that a bullpen that can stand up to the postseason? Because it's one thing to be able to kind of cobble together a bullpen that can carry you through the regular season, but you you, you know you know how it is. When you get in that, the playoffs, you get deep in the playoffs. That 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 is gonna, you know that that's just not gonna work unless your bullpen is as strong as possible. Now I was curious. Uh, it sounds like you've been kind of covering or getting kind of been able to cover the White Sox a little bit more this year, and I assume always you know all through Zoom for the most part. Yeah. Um, so so far that's. For, for really for every team, that's how their media access has worked, given the coronavirus stuff. And um, so I've had some chance to do that and get on some calls. And um, during like the um, summer camp, talked to Rick Hahn a little bit and a couple of their players. Um, and so it's been nice, even though like going to the ballpark doesn't mean the usual walking into the locker room and just kind of looking for the guy you want to talk to. Um, the teams have been pretty good about making that, um, making that available. So it's helped. So although I got my start in Cubs writing, um, uh, through the blogs and stuff, it's been nice to be able to expand and talk to guys from other teams, write stories about other teams. And, and I, cause I think that's a good, the more perspective you get on the league as a whole, um, that's always a good thing. Did you kind of grow up as a Cubs fan or... Who was kind of your no, team I, I definitely did. I was, uh, I think like a lot of people, 
um, I owe that to WGN. So I grew up in Michigan in like this really small town. And so I was like physically closer to Detroit. So it would have made more sense to be a Tigers fan. But all that mattered to me when I was young was I got home from school and turned on the TV and the Cubs were on on TV. So um, that was my team when I was young. And I, I, I kind of came into it right in the peak of like Ryan Sandberg, Mark Grace. Then when Sammy Sosa came to the team later, those were my like prime baseball watching years when I was young. So um, they were they were always my team growing up. Yeah, I was living in uh, Columbus, Ohio, kind of when I first got cable back in the early, early 2000s. So, yeah, same thing, WGN and you know, mm-hmm. 03 was kind of like, I mean, I was, I was already following baseball. You know, I was already, you know, you know, 14 year old, I think back in 03, but 03 is kind of like that first year I had from, from the Cubs fan perspective of like that true, like real fun slash heartbreak season. But, yeah. um, also I was curious. So normal seasons over the last few years, uh, where was it, was it kind of split for you to kind of cover both teams or I guess was one more yeah. prominent than the other? I pretty much split my time over the last few years. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, I because I would try to write stories about every team um, or players from all over the place because I like the fact that I could take advantage of there's an American League team and a National League team here. So um, depending on who was coming into town, I would try to time it that way. So, um, you know, like last year, I, I wanted to do a story on Josh Bell around the All-Star break. So I look for... You know, when when can I catch the Pirates when they come to Wrigley um, and things like that. So um, that's given me the opportunity. It's been kind of nice to work with, all you know, all, all the teams around the league. Um, but, yeah, it means like kind of like week on one week at one ballpark, one week at the, the other ballpark. I sort of go back and forth depending on who's in town. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, uh, curious too on your thoughts uh, with the extra inning rules and the DH. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, so I'm 31. So I, I baseball has always been to me. You know, I liked, I actually liked the uh, the uniqueness of the AL having the DH and the NL with a pitcher. But I don't mind the DH and the NL now. If it's going to happen, I'm, I'm, I kind of salivate over the Cubs' potential options there. And obviously, you know, whether it's whether it's Schwarber or more so, you know, we've seen other guys kind of share that role, but uh, I hate the extra inning rules. I get it for this year, but the being a weird year and trying not to have games go too, too, too long. But uh, I was kind of curious too with your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm in a very similar place. I, I never particularly liked the designated hitter. Um, I always preferred National League Baseball. Um, because I just love, I, you know, the same things that I think everybody says. I enjoyed the strategy yeah. that it involves late in games and the the thinking that the manager has to do. But I also knew, I mean, honestly, the DH came to the American League in 1973. So it's it's not as if we were ever going to see the day where the DH is gone. Um, so I had accepted that. But no, I'm with you. I The seven-inning doubleheaders are... are I guess I don't mind that too much, but I hope that I don't want to see that stay just because in a normal season, doubleheaders don't happen super often anymore. I do kind of wish that they would schedule more intentional doubleheaders. I kind of miss when that was a thing, like just make that part of the schedule, um, but keep them as nine inning games. Um, So I don't love that. And I'm really not like the runner on second 
I don't, I mean, I know what people say about it's exciting and whatever, but like, I mean, just a few nights ago, I, I think the Cubs lost, um, was that Milwaukee? They, if I'm remembering right, I think that was against the Brewers. They, they lost the game truly because of that rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. There's, um, there's been at least one game that they've, they've won because of that rule. So, you know, it goes both ways, but it just felt very cheap to me. Some, it was like, oh, well now they've lost this game because of this goofy rule. So do not enjoy that one at all. Please, please do away with that in 2021 if we can help it. Agreed. Yeah, I uh, I used to intern in minor league baseball, so uh, I know they had seven inning doubleheaders and all that. But yeah, it's weird. Um, and I know some people say, well, it kind of benefits the Cubs maybe because of their bullpen. But then it's like, no, they lose two innings because they can't score any more runs. Like the you know against St. Louis yeah. the other day. And yeah, I think they did have a win against Pittsburgh with the extra inning rules. But yeah, because you know I've heard some. I, I don't know where I heard this. I know someone must have said something like it's kind of like college football, both teams getting crack at it, but. You know, I feel like the extra inning is going to it's gonna benefit the road team because they can probably score first, and then it's up to the home team to actually come through there. Yeah. So either way, uh, it is what it is, I guess. I guess I'll take baseball being back. Uh, I was very doubtful back in, you know, June even, when it just seemed like neither side could get their act together. So I guess this is definitely a good, uh, you know, happy medium, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just nice to have a season going on. And, you know, knock on wood, we're now almost a month into the season, and it it looks like they they might actually be able to pull this thing off, especially if they go to a, a playoff bubble in October. Um, but, yeah, yeah, they've they've ridden out a couple of outbreaks on different teams, but it's it's looking pretty good. Yeah, I think the playoff bubble has to – almost happened because you know we've seen the nhl and the nba have no positive or any cases you know positive cases so the bubble can work yeah i don't know how they're going to make it work with the cardinals getting all those double headers and games and then i guess you know they can stay healthy and no other teams kind of come down i know the mets and yankees had some uh, games postponed this weekend so yeah uh but yeah i mean can you imagine if the cardinals can't get in half these games and they just somehow get into the playoffs anyway. I don't know how that would work, but I just kept imagining them saying, okay, Miami, St. Louis, you're done for the year. <laughs> Go away. But yeah, yeah, it's just been an odd. It's almost like they're, it, it almost feels like they're making it up as they go, but at least for the most part, they are seemingly making it work. It seems like, yeah, it, it has been in some ways I've, I've, I've felt good about the way that they're willing to adapt um, and cause in, to some degree, you kind of have to make it up as you go because you, it's, it is very hard to predict how these kinds of things are going to play out, how, how it's all going to work. Um, you know, and, and when you have one team where it's like somebody tests positive and then you turn around and there's 13, 14 guys with positive tests, but then you have a team, I think it was just the Reds recently had a guy test positive, but then it was like, it was isolated. So even little things like that. It's just, you kind of have to make it up as you go along. Um, but yeah, I'm very much into the idea of establish a playoff bubble because like you said, we've seen it work with hockey and basketball. Um, so once you have your playoff teams figured out, send them all to, I don't know what the best spot would be. Um, whatever part of the country is maybe a safe, safest as far as 
positive test rates, um, but can also accommodate, you know, so selfishly, I'd love to say like, bring them all to Chicago. Um, but, but yes, wherever it is, whatever the spot is for that, um, I think that's the way to go. Eloy has definitely been, you know, he had a home run tonight, uh, offensive pop galore. Uh, what are your thoughts on Eloy? I know defense is kind of an issue (laughs) and it's what I've been hearing about lately, obviously, you know, certain things here and there, there's a funny moment, um, I believe it was a Luis Robert just kind of took Eloy's ball in left field and Eloy's like, all right, take it. But uh, I mean, obviously they got Jose Abreu and so the DH is kind of occupied, but I yeah. guess uh, how do you kind of see Eloy? I mean, he could kind of still make left field work, right? Or his defense just kind of. Yeah, no, he's definitely, I, he's only going to get so good on defense. Um, he's young. There's still opportunity to improve. I can tell you from watching it firsthand that he does spend a lot of extra time out there and works on it a lot. But yeah, for some guys, it's just like you're only going to ever be so good at it. And perhaps when the time comes when Abreu is not there anymore, um, maybe that's the move for the White Sox is to have Eloy become their DH. That could help him health-wise too. You know, he, he might stay more healthy if he's not out running around the outfield too. Um, because like, I, I know some people draw the Kyle Schwarber comparison and it's just perhaps an easy one because they're both left fielders in Chicago. But um, as someone pointed out, and I wish I could remember who it was so I could give them proper credit, but if you look at the number of innings in the minor leagues that Kyle Schwarber had as an outfielder versus the number of innings that Jimenez had as an outfielder, and it's not even close, um, Jimenez had way, way more. And so... Based on things like that, he should be a much better defender than Schwarber, and yet I think you could make a decent case that Schwarber is the better outfielder um, defensively. So, yeah, for for the White Sox, I think they are going to have to look seriously at do we do we look into making him a full time designated hitter here in the next couple of seasons? Yeah, Schwarber's definitely shored up his game in left field, and that's I think a huge reason why he's not DHing all that often. I mean, I, I know he did tonight. Schwarber's got that arm too; he's cut off guys or uh, you know throwing yeah. guys home, which has been awesome. So it's like, why why are you sending a guy on Schwarber? But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, going to be fun to watch both teams kind of play out. Definitely a lot of buzz and excitement around both. And I know the Sox. I know the last time I saw the score was like nine to one. Sox looks like we'll take game one if they haven't already, and we'll see how that series plays out. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for just taking some time to chat some baseball, and it's good to have you on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me on. As always, thanks for listening to the Cutting to the Chase podcast. Be sure to check it out across Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Leave me a a five-star rating. Give me any kind of feedback. Always looking to get any guests I can. But also be sure to check out Jared Willis at Jay Willis on Twitter. And I will catch you next time.